This is DeRay Olalaya, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 146. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur entrepreneur and you are listening to the before the millions podcast hey this is mark asquith the host of the seven minute mentor podcast global entrepreneur and all-round geek and you are listening to the before the millions podcast i am mc lobster the cash flow ninja and you're listening to before the millions podcast you're listening to the before the millions podcast but whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye what it do btm tribe welcome back to a new installment of the before the millions podcast this is installment 146 on this installment we have on mr rocky lavani And Rocky and I cover a wide range of topics for today's episode. Not only do we get into Rocky's journey, but we talk about some of the most important things in my life, in his life, and maybe even in your life. When it comes down to the amount of money that we earn at work or in our business, when it comes down to the lifestyle that we're able to create with the amount of hours that we work at work or in our business, And also when it comes down to physical fitness, when it comes down to taking care of your body and making sure that you are healthy enough for the long haul. So in essence, to boil this episode down into three words, it's about wealth, it's about freedom, and it's about health. So in terms of wealth, we'll be discussing the profit first system in your business. Exactly how you should be accounting for profit in your business to make sure that you continue to have a thriving business or start to cultivate a thriving business if your business is not yet thriving. The first few years of my entrepreneurial journey, I did not follow the profit first system and I suffered for it. We'll get into that on today's episode and we'll talk about exactly what this system can look like for your real estate business. So after the wealth category, We'll talk about the lifestyle and freedom category, right? What you're doing with your time, how you can, instead of working 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week on work and in your business, how you can begin to work 20 hours a week like Rocky. Now I'm in a season right now where I have a ton of projects going on and these projects are ultimately optional. These projects are things that I would love to do in my business. These projects are things that I believe would enrich myself and would enrich my community. But by no means do I have to do these projects. Now, if I think about the things that have to be in my business to maintain my current position on a weekly basis, I would calculate that it's anywhere between four and eight hours a week. But given that I am pursuing greater feats and I'm diversifying my income sources and I have a large give back component of my business, not to mention interviews and the shows I go on and the coaching I do outside of my clients and mastermind members, which, yes, I offer people 
experiences to help change their real estate business at a pro bono rate. And it's not anything fluff. It's not like a 15 minute consultation call. Like we may spend hours working on somebody's business and it's pro bono. So there's a, there's a lot of different things that I do in my business that don't necessarily need to be done, but it's a part of my identity and it's the things that I bake into my schedule. I don't work those four to eight hours a week that I can. You know, right now we're probably upwards of 40. But again, this is a season. And at any time I could cut back on this. So we'll talk about on today's show exactly how you can build up your business to to work a mere 20 hours per week. You guys know my favorite book of all time is by Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Work Week. So we talk about a lot of his principles in this episode. Last but not least, after we've covered wealth and freedom, we'll talk about health and how that plays a major role in the overall success of your business. In fact, in the tip of the week, I'll share with you exactly how my entire health routine has changed within the past month. Super excited for you guys to listen to the episode and just find the things that resonate with you. Find the things that you're going to change in your life. Find the things that you're going to improve upon. Find the things that you're going to delegate to other people so that you have a better quality of life in your eyes. Last but not least, if you're not subscribed, make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast, the Before the Millions podcast. More specifically now, because there are a few bonus episodes coming out. One actually at the end of this week, where I'll be sharing with you exactly where you can go to get registered for my brand new live webinar and for free, which is called The Four Keys to Building a Lifestyle Business Through Real Estate. This webinar is going to show you exactly how to convert motivated seller leads, how to close massive deals, and how to do both of these things without any cash, credit, experience, or investors. So again, subscribe to this podcast and turn on your notifications so that you'll automatically be notified when my bonus episode comes out. And therefore, you'll be able to register for my brand new live webinar that I'll be delivering next week. You guys don't want to miss this. So if you're thinking, DeRay, why don't you just give us the link to that webinar now? It sounds amazing. And I would, you know I would, but the page is just not up yet. So that's something I'm going to be working on later today, possibly tomorrow morning. That is why you just subscribed. You have your notifications on. And at the end of this week, you're going to tune in for our bonus episode. Okay, let's get into it. DeRay's tip of the week. In April of 2015, I hired a personal trainer and I started a workout routine that lasts, let's just say, about two months long. And it wasn't just a workout routine that I started. I also started a diet plan to coincide with that workout routine. And it was amazing. I got amazing results. Just Like I had previously got amazing results with other programs, like some you may remember or use, like P90X and Insanity. I remember Insanity made me lose a lot of weight, which I wasn't completely thrilled about. And I remember P90X uh, maybe gained a little bit more weight, so it was a little bit better in a sense. But Insanity was only like 20, 30 minutes, so I liked that. P90X was a little bit longer. But anyways, this 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 brand new plan I, I got on with this trainer in April of 2015 was much longer. 
it was much more targeted too. It wasn't just a general workout routine for everybody in America. It was specific for me and the goals that I had. So I was willing to work out for an hour and a half or work out for an hour and 45 minutes a day, five to six days a week. And then what really set things over the edge for me was the diet. The diet was 80% of how I got my results in 2015. But the diet required that I ate five to six meals a day. And it required that I measured every single cup, every single peanut, every single ounce of salmon that I was eating. Literally every single peanut, I had to count out my peanuts in the morning. I had to, uh, I had to ingest seven peanuts with my egg whites in the morning. Seven peanuts I had to count them out. And I do that every single morning. So it was that strict. I had to count my calories. I had to log my calories. And quite frankly, my diet lifestyle was a full-time job. So with that being a full-time job, I naturally, after I got the results that I wanted, I naturally start cutting back on things. The primary thing that I started cutting back on was really the, the diet. I didn't mind the two-hour workouts. But the diet it was so strict and it was so time-consuming that eventually I just kind of let go of that. So over the next few years, I would still do the workouts, maybe not five times a week, some weeks, maybe not five times a week, some months. But some years I'd be totally dig- diligent and I'd do it all year. Some years, if you add up all the times that I did it that year, maybe a total of three, four months. Fast forward to 2019, and I started to learn about intermittent fasting and some of these other diets that are really popular. When I say diet for me, I'm not saying that I'm going on a diet to lose weight, but I mean like my my general diet, what I eat on a day-to-day basis, how that can be healthy and not be something that I eventually stop doing. Like I want it to be a lifestyle. So I learned about a ton of different things last year and, you know, from keto to paleo to vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, all that good stuff. Right. Um, But one thing that really stuck out to me was the concept of intermittent fasting, especially after I did a five day only or may have been a seven day. Wow. It was a seven day, especially after I did a seven day only water fast. I really, really started looking into intermittent fasting and it was Interesting to see that and then to experience that the exact opposite plan that I did back in 2015 to get the results that I wanted would still get me the results that I wanted. So I was I was like, wow, like I can keep going with my two hour you know per day workouts, but I don't have to eat five meals a day to get those results. I could intermittent fast and the science is completely different. It's completely opposite. I mean, every single aspect of what I'm being taught and told is completely opposite of what I believed up until that point. But yet and still, those facts held true as well. And it kind of just, you know, goes back to this game we call life. And there are many different routes to get to your goal. And just because this route has been proven doesn't mean that there's not a completely opposite route that can't get you to that same goal. And getting to that goal in a much, much more pleasurable and desirable way, which is kind of the overall theme of this podcast episode. It was a major learning lesson for me because I was like, wow, like these 
this follows a completely different set of principles, but it ultimately still gets you to the exact goal that I got to before. I'm not worried about eating five small meals a day at two, two and a half hour increments and making sure that I'm doing that on the money every single time. I'm eating one meal a day in a small window and I don't have to worry about that for the rest of the day. So that's when I kind of really thought that maybe there's a different way with everything. But I kind of sat on that for the past few months up until the beginning of this year. It may have been December of January 2019. And I decided to read Tim Ferriss's second book, The 4-Hour Body. It wasn't my intention to read this book yet. Uh, I was actually looking to buy The 4-Hour Chef, his third book, um, when I decided to go ahead and read The 4-Hour Body first. Now, this book I've read four, maybe even five times at this point. And it's only, what, February? It's only been two months. Um, I've read it five times at this point because... It's, again, another blueprint, another game plan, another roadmap, and it's a better roadmap for me and where I am. And it completely debunks, once again, everything that I've been taught, everything I know about how muscles work, everything I know about how rest days work, everything I know about how fat loss works, everything I know about how muscle gain works has all been debunked by this book. And this book is not new, it's old. I just haven't come across this information. So over the past three weeks, I started implementing some of the things in the book. And it might sound crazy to you guys if you haven't yet read the book. But, you know, I went from working out 12 hours a week, you know, six days times two hours a day and and doing that from six to eight in the morning, which was completely burning my my energy for the day. Like, you know, your workout in the morning is supposed to give you a pick me up. But mine was just completely burning out my energy. And guys, I did this year in, year out. That speaks to the power of discipline, but at the same time, I just got tired of it. Like I was just fed up. I needed another way. And I read this book and I, I felt like, wow, this is this is that other way. And it showed me how I could work out for 30 minutes a week. So that's a total of two hours a month. I could work out for 30 minutes a week. Two workouts a week, which is basically 15 minutes a workout. And I can get even better results than I got in April of 2015. And I was floored. I said, no way. This is not possible. This is not realistic. I kept reading the book and I read it over and over again. And I started to understand the science behind it. I started doing my research and I was just like, wow, I'm actually going to try this. And Tim is a master experimenter. Tim Ferriss, the author of the book, he's a master experimenter. That's what he does for a living, right? I mean, every single book he's produced after that has been gold as well. And I think this has just gone on to make him my favorite author. Like, not only does he, not only has he written my favorite book, The Four Hour Work Week, but he's now just my favorite author. Like, we're just, we're just going to put that in the universe. But ultimately, he started researching this concept called MED, the minimum effective dosage. And this is a minimalist approach to being healthy, gaining appropriate muscle and losing fat. And in everything that we do, we exert a lot of energy, tons of energy to whatever it is that we're doing, not knowing exactly where to stop to get the exact result that we want. 
But we just know that if we do enough, then we'll eventually get there. So that means that anything beyond MED, the minimum effective dosage, is a waste. It's a waste of energy. And it's not being useful. So water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. At 213 degrees Fahrenheit. At 300 degrees Fahrenheit. At 350 degrees Fahrenheit. The water doesn't get any more boiled. It just continues to boil. So the higher the temperature, though, it continues to consume more resources. But at 212, it was good. It was boiling. So you're consuming more resources, but you're not getting a much better output. You're getting the same exact output. And that's kind of how I pursued my workouts for the past few years. So as of late, the past three weeks, I've been trying a totally new psychology, a totally totally new method that allows me to work out twice a week, 15 minutes of workout. So basically, I work out every two days. So if I work out on Monday, I'm not working out again till Thursday. And if I work out on Thursday, I'm not working out again till Sunday. And then after the first two weeks, you spread it out instead of every two days, it's every three days. You're going to get even bigger if your goal is to gain muscle. Mine isn't. So my diet plays a large role in how I get to my goals. And that's also covered in the four hour body, which also, by the way, gave me the most effective diet that doesn't count any calories, that doesn't count peanuts, that doesn't weigh my salmon, um, that doesn't do any of the sort. I can eat as much as I want. I just have to follow five simple rules for six days a week. But I can eat as much as I want. I can eat when I want, how I want, with who I want, at any restaurant I want. And then that seventh day that week is a cheat day, which those five simple rules, you can and should. And it's part of the diet to break them. So then you just go haywire with ice cream and Kit Kat bars and every single cinnamon roll you can find on the seventh day. So. Again, breaking all of my prior beliefs about what a diet, a long sustaining diet is supposed to have. So how do these realizations kind of bring me back to real estate? And guys, just to let you know, I haven't fully got to the results yet. Like I'm, I'm still just a few weeks in, but I wanted to state it here on this podcast since we are talking about the four hour body later on in this episode. But that aha moment correlates to real estate so much because with all the strategies that are out there to learn in real estate, when it comes to pursuing motivated sellers, especially in the single family space and the small multifamily space, and this this actually works in apartments and, 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 and public storage and, and so on, but especially in those two niches, there are just two, two key strategies that you need to take down any deal. And to take down those deals with none of your own money, none of your own credit, no investors. So there's no sense in learning all these five, six, seven, eight, ten strategies just to feel like you have tools in your tool belt to take down these deals. You only need two, the minimum effective dosage. And you can take down any deal as long as the seller is motivated. And you can do this without any credit, any of your own cash any financing contingencies and or investors. And that's exactly what I'm going to discuss and show you how to do on my upcoming webinar. So guys, again, it is imperative that you make sure that you're subscribed, hit that subscribe button. And this week's bonus episode, I'm going to show you guys exactly where to go register for that webinar titled four keys to building a lifestyle business through real estate.
Now, for this episode in particular, guys, I'm super excited because we're discovering the minimum effective dosage in our wealth creation. We'll talk about the profit first system. And we talk about how to apply that without even mentioning MED. We'll talk about how to apply it to our time freedom, how to work 20 hours a week, right? The minimum effective dosage. And then we'll also, last but not least, I've covered it here, but we'll also get into the four-hour body. And that title alone just tells you MED, minimum effective dosage. This is how you create margin in your life. This is how you create margin in your finances. So let's go ahead and get into it now. I'm super excited and I'll see you on next week's webinar. And now your feature presentation. So I'm an immigrant to the United States. Uh, My parents brought me here when I was two. It was their second time starting over in life. So they had, they were refugees in India and then they came to the United States to create the American dream. They came here in the late 60s. Um, at that point, you were only allowed to take so much money out of the country. So they started with $25. And we landed in um, the wrong sides of town. <laughs> so not so, so nice places. And at that point, you know, you're looking at the late 60s. You're essentially looking at a very turbulent time in the United States. You got the Vietnam War. You've got race wars. You've got all kinds of bad and different things going on. And they are essentially starting life over again. Um, They had a lot of friends and relatives who had also come over around the same time. And so I grew up watching them build wealth. And within a very short period of time, people were starting off and quickly moving up the economic ladder. So they they were getting economic success. And as kids, we would just kind of be stuck in the room listening to to the adults talk, and and they would talk about money. They would share how they were doing things. They would share how much money they were making. They would share how they were buying stuff and what they were buying and how much they were paying and how they were negotiating. Our culture naturally negotiates. And so I saw that hard work paid off. We were essentially told you will succeed. Success is just expected of you. So even though they were starting off again, it was just always the expectation that you were going to do well. On the other side, it was really weird because at that point, America was a black and white world. And we, most of where I spent my, my younger years, we were literally in a town where half of it was black and half of it was white. And so they're like, well, what are you? Well, I didn't fit into either. We're not black. We're not white. So you're kind of almost like an outcast. You didn't have your group, your tribe. Um, So it was just kind of figuring out how to live within that system and, in a sense, how to survive. And then while I was still young, my mom passed away. And so then it became just my dad and I. And so he was of the attitude that, number one, he's going to take care of his son. And number two, um, we're going to figure out how to live life. So it meant if we're two guys living, you got to figure out how to cook, how to entertain, how to do all of the things that you need to do. And throughout all this time, I saw wealth being built. So I remember even if this is a kid, I wanted more money. And while I saw wealth around me, my dad, because he didn't want to work extra, um, because he wanted to be home, we didn't have as much money as other people. We had decent amount, but it wasn't anything extraordinary. And so I was always like, I want to be a millionaire. 
And so I was always looking for a hustle to how do I make a buck as a kid? How do I be able to do that? And I think I started out with a paper route, which is, I think, a great way to learn. You learn customer service. You learn how to deliver the paper. You learn how to talk to people. And most of your money in newspaper delivery comes from tips. So the better the service you give, the more money you make. So I'm literally like a 12 or 13-year-old kid making 50 bucks a week, which in today's world is probably like 200 bucks. You know, when you're 13 with 200 bucks a week coming in, you're living large, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> and then the other thing, we were close enough to New York City, and this was around the time that digital kind of products started coming up. So like the credit card calculator and all of these digital types of items were starting to become available. And I would go into New York City and I would buy stuff wholesale, like on Canal Street or in the, in the different districts. I'd bring it back and I would double the price and sell it to friends and school teachers and people around me. So I was, I was making a decent buck. I was always the kid who had money, who could live large and who just had a blast and, and enjoyed it all. I love that. I love that. And I want to talk on two points really quick, Rocky, that you pointed out. Um, you know, I too am of immigrant descent, of Nigerian descent, and I know about those societal pressures to be great, to be excellent, uh, to make sure that no matter what you are, um, you're prosperous. And, um, you know, it was always told to me at an early age that, hey, DeRay, you're going to be successful. I could just tell you're going to, you know, you're going to make it. And, you know, you would think that that encourages you, that inspires you, but, but, for me, as, a, as an individual who didn't exactly know what my path was in life, I felt as though it put a lot of pressure on me, so a lot of downwards pressure. Like, I was just like, man, okay, I'm going to be successful, but I mean, what am I going to be doing? Like, how do, I, what, how do I achieve that? You know, it was, it was fairly easy to get good grades in school and things of that nature. But when I graduated from high school, I had no idea what life was. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had no idea of any of these things. And I look at, you know, my one other sibling, my little sister, uh, about seven years younger than me, from, from maybe like the age of six or seven or eight, she knew that she wanted to be an OBGYN. Today, she just graduated from Baylor with one of the highest MCAT scores ever. Like she has not wavered from that goal. Whereas for me, I didn't know what I wanted to do up until 25 after college. So uh, I, I think about that pressure and I went through a lot to figure out what it was, what my path was, what I needed to do to get to that success. And I wanted, I wanted to know if it was something for you that was, you know, I know that was instilled in you, but did you have the vision? Did you know the path or was it a struggle for you to kind of figure out where your footing was? All I knew is I wanted to be a millionaire. I didn't figure out what I wanted to do till I was 53. Wow. wow. <laughs> so I didn't have the clarity. Um, so there's been a big societal shift, which I don't think people today realize. If you want information today, you can Google it and find it. When I was young, information was gold. If you had information, you didn't share it because that would be sharing your gold and no one was going to share their gold because they didn't realize that it would, it would grow and both of you could grow. Um, so it was, it was difficult to learn stuff and figure it out. And there was a very high cost to doing that. Today, information's cheap. Today, what you don't get is people who take action. Back then, because you didn't have a choice, you took action. You took action not knowing. So I think one of the things I didn't realize was the power of scaling. And I know you're, you're big into real estate. So as a kid, I learned real estate because the adults were talking about real estate. They were talking about rental properties. I, as a kid, 
was good with my hands. So I knew how to run electric. I knew how to do plumbing. I knew how to lay tile. I knew how to put roofs on. And when I was in college, I got a real estate license. So I was even selling real estate. So I understood the entire process, but I never took action once I got out of college with that. So I think that was one of the things is, is the fear of, of taking that step sometimes in, in taking action. But yeah, I, I, so I will say that the enemy of, the enemy of great is good. Mm. I got a college. I got a job. I did well my first year. I did really well after my first year. I was making good money. And then you get lazy, right? You're making good money. Life is good. It's pouring in. And so I never went for great, I think. I just I I spent most of my career in a W2 job making good money, not killing myself and and enjoying the ride. Were you fulfilled? Not at work. But I did not look to work for fulfillment. So one of the things that I've learned later in life is everyone is is defined by their title at work. I didn't care about my title because I didn't even appreciate it. So I was never fulfilled from my work. I'm like, I work to make money. So I think the statement goes, I work to live. I don't live to work. Yeah, yeah. And. I, I, I had a pretty easy job that paid really well. And so I, it wasn't, I did not find fulfillment at all at work. My fulfillment came at home um, and in other things that I did. So how many years were you employed at your W-2 job? And what happened leading up to your 53rd birthday that really changed your perspective? So I was employed up until just before, just in, I left corporate at 53. Um, what had happened leading up to that? So let's go back. I, I leave college and I have a simple goal. I want to be a millionaire, right? And then as I'm getting close to becoming a millionaire, I realize something. A million dollars, if you use the 4% rule with the withdrawal rates, mean you're going to make $40,000 a year. Well, what good's a millionaire when you only get 40 grand a year? I can't live that life. So now a million becomes 2 million, right? And now this is historic. Um, so you're, you're looking at pre Y2K and all of that. So 2 million is the number. And then, of course, even as you get to that, you realize, well, that's not really enough. So the, the number keeps doubling. That was one. Number two, I was always a money guy. I always wanted to understand money, but I never went into the money sales space. Like I looked at the, and I, I won't name these companies, but they all sell investment stuff. And I looked at that stuff and I'm like, this stuff is just horrible. It's not good for the customers. It's great for the company selling it because they're making a killing, but we're really not helping people. And so I really had this internal struggle of how do I help people with their money, but all the products that are out there for money and helping them are just not good. And so how do you kind of bridge that gap? And the other thing I didn't understand is why don't people talk about money? People talk more about their sex life than they do about their money life. I mean, are you kidding me? We spent all this time going to school, right? For what? To get a job to make money or to start a business to make money? And yet, nobody's talking about money, which is a problem. If you don't talk about it, you can't figure it out and, and work through it. And I finally, I remember reading an article and it was from... Uh, Ramit Chetty. I don't know if you know him. I, I will teach you to be rich. Oh, Ramit. Yeah, yeah, I will teach you to be. So I read an article from him and I was like, 
oh, it's money mindsets. And he, I started following him because he understood how people had all these money scripts going on. And so that really kind of led me down a path of understanding human psychology, how we behave, what are those types of things. And then at this point, I was also at the point of wealth where I'm like, okay, I can retire soon. What am I going to do 5, 10, 15 years from now? I think I also came to the realization that I wasn't going to sit on a beach and drink Mai Tais. Like, it sounds nice, but it's boring. Um, And so I started figuring out how can I help people? And that's where financial coaching came up. And then that kind of evolved into business coaching where I help them with the numbers side of the the equation because most people are not looking at their numbers. Real estate investors, half of the time, they don't look at their numbers. They do it on the back of the napkin and they always guess the wrong way instead of guessing the, the harder way to make it sure that you're not going to fail. And so that's kind of where that journey evolved over the years. When you say evolved, and I want to, again, I want to walk up, up, up until that 53rd birthday, because you didn't just wake up one day and were like, okay, I read all these books. I think I'm going to go start coaching, right? You had some experiences and you had some things that happened along the way that really told you that, hey, I could actually make an impact in this, in this niche. I can actually do something like there's something that's not being broadcasted or being taught. And slowly but surely start working with maybe individuals or however you're doing it, but you're starting to see the success in what you're doing to where you're like, this is actually a viable option for me as opposed to what I'm currently doing in my W2 job. That was probably a good five years of taking baby steps. So one of the first things, you know, I, I learned about the fact that there was financial coaching. So today it's like everybody's a financial coach. Five, seven years ago, that was not the case. And then I went down and I spent some time with um, Dave Ramsey in his group, and they've got a financial coaching program for coaches. So I went through his coaching program. And after I got out of that, I started talking to a lot of the people who, who were coaches within the Dave Ramsey system and so forth. And I learned there's a reason people are broke, and it's all mindset and it's habits. And they're also not willing to pay. And even when they do pay, they don't show up, right? It's all habits in, in the way you behave. And I was like, I don't want to deal with this. That's not my idea of, of where I could enjoy myself or have fun. Um, that just seems like you're banging a head, your head against the wall every day. So I started to move up the ladder. I realized that there were a lot of people who were making six figures and even those people were struggling with money, right? It's lifestyle creep. The more you make, the more you spend. Um, we all do it. It's just kind of that habit. And so oh, Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law, exactly. So I kind of started going up that and I started doing financial coaching for higher net worth people. They were more willing to show up. They were more willing to pay. And then along that journey, the next aha came when I learned that business owners don't look at their finances. I'm like, what do you mean? You're in the business of business. You're not looking at your financial reports. They're like 80% of them don't look at financial reports. I'm like, oh my God. I said, number one, I can help them. Number two, they are more, they've got more pressure because they've got to pay employees. They got to pay bills. So they're more willing to get help and they're more willing to pay for help. And so that was where the final twist came along. And then I met the people from Profit First, and that was probably 
that was probably like a year and a half long journey in getting to know them, what they were doing, exploring alternatives. Is this the way I want to go? Do I want to just do it myself? Because I, I mean, these principles are eight timeless. There's nothing new here. It's, it's a matter of how quickly do you want to run? Do you want to support team? Do you want to recreate the wheel? Too often, everyone wants to recreate the wheel. I'm not a recreate the wheel guy. I'm like, give me all your wheels. I'll just use them all. Like, I don't want to rebuild the world. And so I, I ended up connecting with them. And that was, um, it's been a great, uh, it's been a great journey. And they've been super helpful. And it's just helped me move faster. And then along the lines, I, I also bought, I finally bought real estate. I finally got rentals. I finally, we started flipping houses in, in the, the time after the 2009 crash. So about 2011, opportunities started presenting themselves. And so we started getting involved with real estate. And I went into real estate with a very simple principle. Said, I'll do this, but I've still got, my kids still were relatively young at that point. I am not lifting a hammer. I'm not doing all the work. I know I can do everything that needs to be done in this house. I'm not doing it. We're, we're paying people. We're getting experts. We're building a team. I don't want to be the guy. I, I still have a W-2 job. I'm not spending my nights here. I'm spending my nights on a soccer field with my kids. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I want to start speaking to those, those business owners, those entrepreneurs who are doing it by themselves. I mean, I can resonate so much with them. Um, the very first time I read Profit First was probably in 2017. And I love the principles, but I felt as though there weren't too many of the principles that I could act on. Um, I was a brand new entrepreneur. I'd started a few businesses. Um, they were all failing terribly. And I just didn't see a possible way for me to act on the principles, but I love the book. And then things happened. I think that was in 2016. So things happened over 2016, 2017, 2018 to where my business started growing. I started having clientele. Uh, I started purchasing more investment property, started hiring, hiring employees. And I was just like, wow, like, you know, and this, this is so relatable to a lot of investors because first off you feel as though, you know, the whole privacy thing, like, you know, who, I don't want to share my numbers. Who could I trust to actually, you know, share this information with, right? And then you have the, the, the focus thing. Like a lot of entrepreneurs, they're, they're only focused on making more money. Like it's all about making more money. They're not looking at where that money is being spent and where that money is being invested and the expenses that are coming out. It's just making more money, making more money. And then you have the, the whole, um, I can't afford it, right? It just sounds like it's too expensive. Well, I don't need financial coaching yet. My business is not at a place where, you know, this is something that is important to me. So you have all these things circling the mind of an entrepreneur. And I want you to debunk a lot of this because I feel as though the earlier, the better. Like if I would have started back in 2016, implementing something like Profit First, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Like, I don't know where my business would be today, but I learned through those mistakes. And the second time I read Profit First, I was like, dude, I have to follow this to the code, right? And um, I know that you have, you know, at this point, probably hundreds of people who you've been able to help implement that system. You've seen the change from where the business was and where their business is today. You know, it's fascinating to think that most business owners know what they're doing. And that's not the case. I mean, you would, you would just say 80% of business owners, 80%, you know, and I, be, I believe that number with conviction because I was there right? 80% of business owners have no idea what's going on with their finances. They're scared to even look at it, Rocky. They're scared to even look at it. Like imagine that owning a business and you do not want to look at your numbers. You just keep going forward, hoping, praying, imagining that things are going to get better. And that's often never the case. 
you know, they say that one out of every five business or four out of every five business fail in the first, what, five, 10 years? And the other, and the other, the other one out of every five, they fail in the next 10 years. Why is that? Most businesses fail because of this exact principle here, because they're not able to sustain the, they're not able to sustain the ups and downs, the natural ebbs and flows of being an entrepreneur, of being a business owner. So they don't last. You started financial coaching and you were doing this for five odd years before you decided to go into it full time. A little bit after that, you decided, hey, I'm going to start investing in real estate as well. You started picking up and acquiring real estate, uh, rental properties, and I made sure you started doing some flips as well. And I want to just break down when it comes to your goal for business owners, where you've seen a lot of the business owners, where they started before you started helping them, what you did to help them implement such a system, and then what happened on the other end. So- and we talked, you mentioned Parkinson's law earlier, which Parkinson's law basically says the amount of resources you're given for a project is what you'll spend. So if you come in somewhere and say, I need to flip this house, I got a $50,000 budget, you end up spending 60. You come in and you say, I'm going to flip this house, I got a $10,000 budget, you spend 12. And so whatever we're, our expectations are set at, that's what we tend to do. And so number one is just kind of being aware of that. The reason I say that is, is most business owners, when they're trying to figure out how much they can spend, they're looking at their bank account. So they go to their bank account and they go, is there money there? Yes or no. If they see money, they spend it. If they don't see money, they figure out how to cut costs. And that's just our natural tendencies. It takes a lot of willpower to teach people how to read financial statements. I have an MBA. They didn't teach me how to read financial statements and do things appropriately, even with all that education. So you can't expect a business owner who doesn't even have an MBA to be at that level. It's just not what we're we're taught. So our education system is broken. Um, But what this basically does is, and it's the same way I built my wealth outside of real estate, is hide money from yourself. The more you skim off the top and you put away the easier it is for you to build wealth. So if you start taking your profit up front, if you put money aside for taxes up front, and if you start pulling all this stuff out, when you go to look at your bank account, you're you're always going, oh, there's not enough money here. And you're always thinking and saying, well, how do I live within the money that I have left? And you always figure out a way to do it. You You find opportunities. Things always work out. And so it forces you to constantly think. It doesn't require you to have willpower. It doesn't expect you to read complicated financial spreadsheets that nobody understands. It just works the way you naturally work. And I think that's why it's so powerful. It's based on the old envelope system. So this goes back, Dave Ramsey talks about envelopes. Long before Dave Ramsey, there were envelopes. Hundreds of years ago, people got their money and they put it, you know, here's my money for food. Here's my money for housing. Here's my money for this. And people spent out of those envelopes. And that's literally what Profit First does. It creates digital envelopes for you to spend out. of, And it's, it's just mindset tricks, so to speak, that, that cause us to be more focused. So it doesn't take willpower. It doesn't take effort. You, you just have to put the systems in place. They are not complicated. They are simple And everyone wants complicated results. You don't need complicated. Simple, basic things work. When you keep it simple, it works. When you make it complicated, it gets too convoluted. 
And that's the investment world is the same, right? They want to scare you with all these complicated things you don't understand and make you feel dumb. Simple, straight things always work better than complicated scenarios. I love that. I love that. And I want to I want to uh, get into some strategy, Rocky, because I think it's important not only that we dis- that we discuss the money side of the business, but also the lifestyle design side of the business. I mean, Rocky, you work 20 hours a week and we're going to break down exactly how you're able to do that. But first, I want the listeners to really understand and internalize the profit first system, uh, not only from a business owner's uh, aspect, but also from an investor, uh, an investor's aspect, because that was how I struggled with it the first time. I was just like, well, how do I set aside all this money first when I got a mortgage and I got things that need to be paid and there's no way I can, you know, it was just didn't make any sense to me at the time, but we're, we'll get to that. So, so again, from my understanding and the way I, I implement it now, let's just say you get gross income at work, you get gross income from your business. And you automatically have five or ten percent, whatever it is your amount, even one percent, go into your profit account. So you have different accounts set up for your various different needs, right? So you'll have a profit account, you'll have an expense account, you'll have an owner pay account, and um, you'll have a tax account. Okay, so you have let's just say let's call it five percent going into your profit account. Uh, after that, you'll have you know again profit first. You're going to take that money off the top first. That's the very that's the first and most important thing about profit first, right? Taking profit first. So you take your profit off the top. And then let's just say the very next thing you do is you take out your, your, um, your estimated taxes. And this can, you know, this can vary for many different types of individuals. But let's just say you're going to take out another uh, 20% for taxes, 25% for taxes, right? So that's a total of 30%. Then maybe you're going to do uh, 45% to yourself as owners pay. And then maybe you're going to do what's less, 25% or 30%, something around there to expenses, right? So ultimately, you have a bank of account for each of these, each of these fields. And based on what's in that account, that's all you're able to spend. That's all you're allowed to spend. And that goes back to, again, looking at what you have and knowing that this is all you have for this, you're going to... Uh, nine times out of 10, many business owners, including myself, we, most of our expenses go to our expenses, <laughs> if that makes any sense, right? So it doesn't go to owner pay, it doesn't go to profit, it doesn't go to taxes, and then we wonder why we don't have enough money for taxes, right, at the end of the year. So most of our expenses go to our, our expenses. Implementing the profit first system, just a portion, a percentage of your expenses go to your expenses, right? So you're going to have to figure out a way, if you got 80% in expenses right now, you're going to have to figure out a way to cut out a lot of those expenses to support your business. Um, but Rocky, I want you to explain it way better than I don't want you to kind of take it away and, and describe to our listeners how they can start implementing the Profit First system today. So, go, I mean, honestly, just go get the book. That's probably the easiest way to at least understand the system. We're not going to do it justice in this amount of time. Uh, it's on Amazon. I don't make a penny off of it. It's Mike's book. Uh, it will explain how to do everything. Here's the, the the two keys to the entire process are, number one, take action, open up the bank accounts, right? That's the hardest step for most people. Two, start small. People read this book and they're going, okay, I'm going to put away 20% for profit. And they put 20% away for profit and their whole business implodes because you don't have 20% profit in your business. Put away 1% of profit. If you've got $100, you're not going to miss a dollar. If you've got $10,000, you're not going to miss $100. Start with 1%. Start with tiny baby steps. Six months from now, add another percent, right? So now you're at 2%. You know, maybe next year we hit 4%. The following year we hit 6%. 
maybe as you're going through this, you spend a little bit more time and you get a big win and you figure out where you're really wasting a bunch of money and you, you pick up 4%. Well, add the 4%. Don't try and do an overnight massive, you know, change everything because it's you're not going to stick to it and it's not going to work. So small, tiny changes and then little by little, you crank up those small, tiny changes. And it's going, this is not an overnight success story, but it does work. And over time, these things happen. And also, as you start to look at expenses, you start to constantly question them. Why am I spending money on this? Why did I spend money on that? Why did I spend money on that? When you start to do that, you'll find out you might be paying for stuff you're not even using. You might be overpaying for things. So it, it's just changing your focus and where your focus goes is where you're going to get results. So by constantly being focused on where your outflow is, which most entrepreneurs aren't, they're all focused on inflow. You've got to focus on outflow as well. When you do that, you'll find opportunities to cut costs. And before you go to the second point, Rocky, I want to touch on something that you said. You said stick to it, right? And many people, they don't stick to anything, right? They don't stick to a diet. They don't stick to their New Year's resolution. They don't stick to their profit first plan. And in my research, um, I can't remember where I'm going to quote this from. It may have been Tim Ferriss, but there's almost no way, like zero, 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 one percent of people actually stick to the things that they set out to do. The only way to actually stick to something is to automate it. So it might have even been James Clear in Atomic Habits. How can we automate this system? Like, is there, is there a, a concrete, solid way for us to automate the profit system to where we don't even think about it and it just happens? Absolutely. So what happens is you set up your accounts and depending on your business, you've got to figure out what accounts you need, but you have your basics, your operating expenses, your taxes, your pay, your profit. You go to the bank, you have the accounts, the money comes into the one account, and then you have your percentages, whatever your current split percentages are, twice a month, you say, how much money came in? $10,000 came in. Here are my percentages. You can even just build a simple Excel sheet to put in $10,000. And it will tell you, here's how much goes into each account. And then you get on your phone and you move the money to each account. And then you just look at your operating expenses and you do what you normally do for the next two weeks. And on the 25th of the month, you do that process again. How much money came in in the last 15 days? Put it in my little formula. This is how much goes into each account. Move the money to the accounts. Go back to looking at your one account where you can spend out of. And that's all you have to do. Those are the processes in the systems. That's it. It oh. sounds so simple, and yet people won't do it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So let's talk to a particular problem that many investors, particularly rental property owners, can face. Um, I think that this is a, a problem with all business owners. And like you said, if you're looking at expenses and you don't have enough money in your expense account to cover your expenses, then you need to cut your expenses. What if you're a rental property owner and that's just not possible, right? You can't cut your expenses because maybe something happened this month. You have to replace an HVAC or you have to, you know, what, what, what how do you, are you, are you, are you setting money aside? Like kind of walk me through that process. Sure. So let's, you're talking rental real estate, correct? So when you go to buy your rental real estate, you're going to sit down and you're going to say, I'm buying property X. Let's, I'm going to make up numbers, right? $100,000 is this property. Okay. We follow the 1% rule, right? So that means that this rent should be at least $1,000 a month, correct? 
All right. So we've got $1,000 a month coming in. Now, we all say, well, there's a certain vacancy rate. What's our vacancy rate? Let's say 5%, right? And then you're going to say there's a certain amount for repairs and maintenance. Maybe for you, that's 7%, okay? And then you're going to say, well, I need capital improvements. Capital improvements to me are roof, um, HVAC, flooring, you know, the, the, a new kitchen, a new bathroom, those types of long-term things that you need to, to do. What's the percentage for that? Maybe it's 5%, all right? And then you've got taxes. You've got your real estate taxes, whatever that is. You probably have a loan, so whatever that percentage is. And then hopefully at the end, there's a little bit of what we call profit, right? Your margin between all of that. Here's what most people do. The money comes in, they pay the mortgage, and they the taxes are maybe included. Then there's an amount left, and they go blow it, mm. right? Instead, if we actually said we have a vacancy and it's 5%, take 5% of the rent, 50 bucks, put it in the vacancy account, right? We said repairs were 7%. Take 7%, put it in your repairs account. Long-term capital improvements, 5%. Take 5%, put it in that account. At the end of the year, if you haven't spent any of this money, the money is sitting there and it's starting to grow. Now, think this is just one rental. If you have 10 rentals, you're doing 10X this, right? You're putting away all of this money every month. When you have a vacancy, then you can say to yourself, okay, I have a vacancy this month. I have no rent coming in. Let me go to my vacancy account because I allocated for vacancy. I'm going to pay myself rent out of the vacancy account. Oh, no financial stress this month because I'm a little short, right? The HVAC broke. Okay, we knew it was going to broke. The system was 18 years old. You're fooling yourself if it's not going to break sometime. Normally, we don't save for it, but wait, I have a capital improvement account. I've been saving for this expense. So now I can go to my capital improvement account and write the check for that new HVAC. Maybe you have, you know, a tenant leaves and now you've just got to go in and freshen up that apartment. Well, I have my maintenance account. I put money aside for this. I expected that I would have these expenses and now the money you saved for it, I can take it out of that account and pay that bill. Because we're allocating it, we're not stripping too much money out of the business. And when the things happen, we have the ability to pay for them because we set the money aside in a separate account to be able to do that. Yeah. And one addition I want to add to what Rocky is saying is that I think that a lot of investors are getting in trouble, especially with their first property or their first few properties, because they, they don't already have that CapEx budget or they don't already have um, a reserve budget, right? Because if something goes on earlier on and you barely got into the deal, then obviously you're going to have a whole lot of problems because you haven't saved a whole lot of money in those accounts. So I think it's important for you guys to make sure that you have some cushion going into your deals, making sure that you have a cushion specifically set aside for those specific properties, at least until you build up the portions that you need in each of those respective accounts. Again, if you implement what Rocky just told you and you just have some reserves set off from the very beginning, I think you'll be fine. I love that. Um, did you want to add anything to that? Well, yeah. I think when you go into the deal, you know up front what's going to go on. And I'm always shocked by people who go, oh, I bought this this rental unit and 
you know, it's two years later. I have to replace the roof. I wasn't prepared. I'm like, what do you mean you weren't prepared? You bought a house with a 25-year-old roof. <laughs> There's nothing like it's not a surprise. It's not an emergency, right? You knew that. You should negotiate the price up front to say, I need to put a new roof on it in two years. And so that's part of my budget, right? I might not do it today, but you better budget for that roof and you better put that money aside for that roof because it's part of your original deal. And that goes the truth for, you know, I usually, when we come in, we rehab them to a certain amount. So I've got the rehab budget. I can look across the entire house and I can guess what's going to break. I know my appliances have a five-year lifespan. I know my flooring, depending on what I'm using, has an X amount lifespan. I know paint has to get done every X amount of years. I know that heating and like, it's all, it's all expected. It's not a surprise if you open your eyes and you look at it. Now, you, you've been able to pl- apply such a, a simple but brilliant system to the money in your business. I want to talk about the time in your business and the time in your lifestyle and how maybe some of the principles in Profit First, but more specifically what you've experienced over time to really get and hone in your, your work hours down to 20 hours a week. I mean, you have systems built around that. How did that come about? So I think that comes down to the 80-20 rule, right? 20% of your efforts give you 80% of your results. All right. Now, 40% of your efforts give you 96% of your results. Mm. Who gives a crap about the last 4%? If I can have 60% of my time to give up 4% of results, I'm doing it because now I can build 96% somewhere else. Now I have two 96% going, which is 192%, right? Versus you cranking it out and working hard and being at 110%. I still got 20% of margin here. So I'm running at 192% with 20% margin, and you're running at 110% with no margin. Who's the winner? You got to learn to to figure that out. Create systems, let go of stuff. Don't create the wheel. Steal someone else's wheel, right? That's the whole thing with entrepreneurship. When you were in school, you can't use their homework. You can't do this. You can't look at someone else. Entrepreneurship is about essentially stealing the ideas and the systems from everyone else. And I when I say steal, I don't mean go you know, if you have to pay for something, pay for it. Don't steal it from a person. You know, the, the but the concept is 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 there. Pay people to do stuff. So it's kind of like cheating, right? Oh, this is a hard test. I got to study for it for a hundred hours and take it. In school, you have to do that. In life, you go. I could just pay a guy a hundred bucks, and I could save a hundred hours of studying, and he'll just do it for me. In life, they reward you for that. In school, you get an F. Go do that, right? Get help. Get It comes back to what you said. You weren't willing to pay for help, for coaches. That's what it is. Surround yourself with people who are going to help you move faster. Yes, it's going to cost you a little bit of money, but what's the bigger return on your money? Right. And I, what's I, the I, bigger return on your time? Yeah, I resonate with that so much. And uh, I run a high-level mastermind, and we actually had this discussion last night. Um, and you know, there was a new employee that one of my mastermind members was adding and he was trying to figure out the cost benefit analysis. And, um, when, when we actually did the math, like it blew it out of the water, 
Um, but I want to walk through maybe a specific example where you implemented uh, this this uh, this principle because I believe Perry Marshall uh, came out with the book eighty twenty, and um, I had an episode last summer. I think it was episode one hundred of the Before the Millions podcast where I broke down like let's just talk about my my uh, Before the Millions educational platform, right? So if you look at your tasks on the level of you have $10 tasks, you have $100 tasks, you have $1,000 tasks and $10,000 tasks, right? And you, and you, and you track your, you track what you're doing for a week, maybe two weeks. You can do this in like Evernote or Workflowy or however else you want to do it. But um, going through that exercise, it really opened my eyes and it'll open your, uh, your eyes as you guys are listening and implementing this in your business. But, you know, like my $10 tasks in my business are like sorting through emails, you know, maybe, maybe customer service creating images, editing, editing videos. And I used to spend hours and hours doing these things because I didn't think anybody else could do these things the way that I could do them, right? And again, once they I- can't. They can't. They will never do them as good as you. But if they can do 80%, yep. that's good enough. And you got to let go of that. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So so those those are the $10 priority tasks. And maybe the $100 priority tasks or maybe like writing up your, your, your weekly newsletter or customer follow-up, right? Who can do this? Who can you who can you put in this position? Because again, if your time is worth, let's just say your time is worth um, five hundred dollars an hour. If you're spent, if you're spending time writing out emails, if you're spending time doing customer service that are ten dollar and twenty dollar per hour tasks, then obviously you're never. We had, and I had another discussion actually this morning with one of my mastermind members. He manages Airbnb properties, so he's struggling going out to properties and helping individuals with little minor tasks. Right? He's always going out to properties, and because he, he believes that he needs to make sure that he's adding optimal value to these guests because it's Airbnb guests, and he thrives and he lives off of his ratings. He's like any little thing that they do, I'm out there, and I'm like, I was, I was like, dude, how much time is that taken away from? Like, like let's break down your cost per hour. How much time is that taken away? I was like, this is what you're going to do today. You're going to actually record videos and give them instructions. You're going to spend an hour of your time, one time, recording videos and have them have those instructions forever. There's no way you're going to drive out to each individual guest whenever they need something. It's impossible. You're wasting time. and There's no way you can grow and scale your business. Because originally he was like, no, like I need to do this to scale my business. Um, I have to be the one to do this. I can't put somebody in that place. I'm like, well, you can't put somebody in that place and you're not able to scale your business because you're doing it. And that's when he was like, got it. So, so walk us through an example in your life when this actually happened and you were like, Rocky, you're talking to yourself. I can't do this anymore. I need to outsource this. And that, that provided you with massive amount of dividends, whether that's in money or that's in time or that's in you know, time with your family. Like, I want to I talk about how you got to that return and what that return was for you uh, as far as quality of life. Well, and I told you that up front. When, when we flip a house, it's about 20 hours of my time now to flip a house. and it's because someone else is finding the deal for me. Someone else is vetting the deal. I'm literally going in towards the end, doing the final on the deal, going, okay, yeah, everything makes sense. Eyes on property, this works. And then I walk out and then I come back on closing and we literally, within an hour, we map out everything that's going to get done. We're not picking colors. We already have a standard color scheme package that we use everywhere. I'm not going to repick colors for this house unless there's something odd. I just, I literally, what needs to get done? We've got a to-do list and then I literally leave and I'm on the phone. By the time I leave the house and get home, the painter's on his way, the HVAC guy's on his way, the electrician's moving, you know, everybody's going and we we pretty much know the kinds of things that we need to do 
could I do all of these things? Yeah. Could I do them better? Sure. But I, I built a team that I trust and empower to go do the work and I leave them alone. I'm like, if there's a problem, call me. If there's no problem, you guys know what to do. We've been through this a couple of times. Go run with it. And, and it, for the most part, it works really well. And when there's a problem, that's when I get called and I show up and we, we work through the problem and I don't yell at them for calling me with a problem because I want them to call me with a problem because if we don't fix the problem at the moment, it's going to multiply and get massive. And so I'm like, please do call me when there are problems. If there's a decision point and we haven't been through it before and you already know what we're going to do, then, then let's discuss it. The, the, the more communication you have, the clearer your communication, the more checklists, the more simple things. And then also in flipping a house is to have your schedule of order. And what I mean by that is you do not want your carpets installed before your painter is done, right? You don't want people dragging stuff across brand new carpets. That's the last thing that goes in. So everything needs to be done in a sequential orderly timeline. Everything needs to have margin. Nothing ever gets done on time and in budget. So our budgets automatically, we take our budget, we automatically multiply it by an extra 10%. So if it's a Whatever the budget is, we add extra to the budget. And we also add in, as we're doing the budget, we're like, I think we might need to do the bathroom. Well, we're not sure. But you know what? We're going to budget for the bathroom anyway. It's in the budget. If we get screwed somewhere else, we can say, well, we're not going to spend as much there because we plan for it. A big part is letting go, right? Are they going to do it as well as me? No. Some people can do stuff a lot better than me and a lot faster than me. Let them be. Stop nitpicking your workers. They're not going to be perfect, but just let go. And I think that's a big part of it is letting go. I love that. And what's funny, Rock, is I actually find the, the exact opposite to be true in a lot of the things that I do as far as I'm doing something like video editing. Whereas, again, I think that I'm going to be able to like get all the little things that I want. But ultimately, I'm hiring out to somebody who does this full time. This is what they do for a living. Like oftentimes I'm paying for better work. Right. And that's a that's a big eye opener for a lot of people who are who are doing things in their business. That's not in their zone of genius. Um, And that's it. It's not in your zone of genius. So in your zone of genius, no one's going to meet you outside your zone of genius. They're going to blow you away. I love it. I love it. Rocky, in the past five years, what have you, actually, I want to ask you a different question. When you, when you think about in the past five years, like what new behavior, belief, or habit has most improved your life? So I, it's probably a little over five years ago. I, um, I was heavy most of my life. I was in not great shape. I'd go to the gym. I do what I was supposed to do, what everyone says you're supposed to do. And I got nowhere. Um, I kept gaining weight and it wasn't working out. And one of the things that I got introduced to, because I was in a mastermind and they're like, well, what do you need help with? I'm like, well, this whole weight thing isn't working out. And so someone introduced me to Tim Ferriss and the four hour body. This is like seven years ago, mind you, right? Okay, you're going to get me too excited. You think, <laughs> like, if you understand how much in the past two weeks, I've read that book four times since the new year. 
that book alone. I read it four That's times. That's like 500 pages. <laughs> it's, it's, super, it's super easy to read. It's a super short read. <laughs> but, but my fascination with that book and his concepts and the way he is as a human experimenter are yes. something to none. Like he is, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So I'm, I literally, I literally started following what he said. Okay. I changed the way I ate. I changed the way I exercised. I surrounded myself with accountability partners. I surrounded myself with someone for nutrition. I got trainers, right? So now I've got an entire team around me. I go from being overweight to, I'm still not perfect, but I'm in pretty decent shape. Um, I'm in my 50s. I deadlift 275, and that's not my top. I can deadlift more than that. I'm just okay with where I'm at for the moment, and I'm happy with that. I, I learned to go to the other side of the gym, to lift, squat, do, do bench, do deadlifts. I, I do pull-ups. I do weighted dips. I, it's, it's getting the right information. There's too much noise out there, and there's too much bad information. You do not need breakfast. Intermittent fasting works. You've got to get rid of the carbs and the sugar in your diet. Don't eat anything that is processed and in a box. And yet when you go to the grocery store, 90% of the grocery store is processed in the box, right? It's all designed to taste wonderful and it creates cravings and it screws everything up dramatically. So it's, it's, there's a lot of things in life that are true, but aren't the truth. And it's, it's finding that deeper level knowledge of what truly really works and Tim's a great experimenter. He does a lot of other stuff. So I, I look to him for certain parts of my life um, to figure out how to do that. You want to learn investing? Read, learn from Warren Buffett. He knows how to do it. And he does. if you want to learn investing, Warren Buffett tells everyone to invest in the S&P 500. He does not do that. Okay, go read what he actually does. Follow his actions. He has a, he, uh, the, the book Snowball is an amazing book on Warren Buffett. Um, I, I absolutely love like how his life kind of unfolded. It's a beautiful process. Man, Rocky, I cannot believe that you stole my thunder. Like I had been keeping it a secret. I often talk about the books I read on the show and I've been keeping For Our Body a secret because um, I started implementing a lot of the things that Tim, uh, Tim talks about in the book and I wanted to kind of come back to it in about a month or two, but you've already just let the cat out of the bag. I'm so like, oh my God. Um, but you know, Going, going back to that, man, I, for the better part of the past few years, I have worked out um, meticulously two hours a day, five, six days a week. And it's been insane. It's been That's too much. It's been entirely too much. Like, and I work out early in the morning. I work out from six to eight. So it literally drains me of my day and I have to muster up the energy. To, and most of the time you work out in the morning, you're supposed to feel good. Right. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. There has to be no, a right? There, there is. Rocky, let me tell you today, today, I worked out this morning for 21 minutes. And I, and I will work out twice a week for 30 minutes. Twice a week for 30 minutes. And I will get better results than when I worked out five times a week, two hours a day. Not only is Tim Ferriss in this book something that has revolutionized the way I work out and the way I think about working out and eating, but somebody like me getting back a whole 11 and a half hours worth in my week, do you know what I can do with that? Oh my goodness. It's been and it works. 
you're getting better results in less time. And that's the key. Find the secret. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. One, one last question before we get to the last and final round. Um, when you feel overwhelmed or maybe unfocused, or maybe you've just lost focus temporarily, what do you do to get yourself back in alignment? And if it helps, what questions do you ask yourself? So recently I read stillness by Ryan holiday. Um, you got to get out of yourself. You got to get out of your phone. You got to get out of your life. Um, when I retired from work, one of the one things that I really wanted to do that was on my bucket list was to see the stars because we live in a, everything is light pollution. It's, it's horrible. There's actually a place in Northeastern Pennsylvania. That's actually a dark sky area. Um, and so I literally went up into, they call it God's country and I went camping, no phones, no lights, you just decompress. And when you, everyone thinks that the answer is by spending more time, it's not more meetings. It's not more thinking. It's more stopping. Just get out of yourself, get out of your routine, get out of your normal space, go out into nature and take the time. And, and, you know, as part of intermittent fasting, you don't need to eat a lot. Like literally take a couple protein bars and take very little and just go get out and just turn everything off and relax. And I think you will find all the answers that you want and you will find the things that you need in the quiet that you will never find in the noise. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite before the millions book? So I, I will tell you, I misunderstood this question and we talked about it before. I went to your book list and I said, oh, what are the books on here that are my favorite? And the one that came up was Outwitting the Devil. I thought that was a phenomenal book. And you said to me, well, what's a book that you read before you had the millions that kind of helped you along? I think one of those was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But I'll tell you, I really struggled with that book. I understood the concepts and I said, okay, I get all of this, but what I couldn't understand was how do I implement it? How do I take these action steps? How do I build this and how do I do that? And I had no idea. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. Today, I look at that book and go, oh yeah, I know what that is. <laughs> I can execute on that. But it, even though I got the knowledge, it was how do you actually do it that was really a struggle for me. Yeah. Totally, totally, totally. I love that book. And that book, that book provides you, it just gives you the, the dream to, to, to aim after, but it doesn't give you the steps. And obviously you were able to uh, implement the steps over the way. I wish we had more time to kind of even dive into that, but let's move to the next one. Uh, what is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. So actually, the, when I left work, the, the greatest thing I did, and it was all ready to roll and I was able to turn it on, was uh, an automated calendar booking system and a Google. Ca I was always using Google. I live my life on Google Calendar. Like if it's not in the calendar, it does not exist. So everything gets laid out to do's, appointments, all of that stuff, even blocks of time with I'm going to work on something for a block of time. I'll block four hours on my calendar and say, this is what I'm going to work on. And then when that time comes, I'm like, oh, okay, I need to work on that. And I have everything in place. The automated calendar took away so much of the back and forth. It's like, hey, you want to meet? Hey, great. Just book a time on my calendar. And it's like, 
oh, look, all these appointments are happening. <laughs> My calendar's full. That was easy. It just takes so much of the stress. And the more you can automate behind the scenes, the better. Yeah, I love that. Love that. Well said. Um, and just to give you guys a few resources, a few apps, um, one of them is called uh, Schedule Once. I think they got bought out recently, Once Hub. So try Schedule Once or Once Hub. And then the one, I, I stopped using them a few months ago. And then the one I currently use, and I've been using for the past few years, is uh, Calendly. Uh, so try both of those, and those will be in the show notes as well. Uh, what do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Time freedom. I have so much time. I have the freedom of time and everything is buffered. So I don't worry. Like even my calendar is set up with buffers. So if you want to try and book something, you can't book back to back to back. It automatically creates buffers so that I'm not running like crazy. And and there's a lot of block time out of it. So you can't even access a lot of large parts of my calendar because I just don't want it to fill up. Same here. Um, as far as the second point, but the but the first point is something that I think I'm going to take from you and implement because I don't implement the buffer system thinking that I'm going to be more efficient and it's going to give me that Parkinson's law type of thing where I have to get this in in a certain amount of time. But I really enjoy the buffer and I think that's something I'm going to implement as well. So I appreciate that. Um, what were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? You're going to spend less. You, you just do. You have to increase the gap between what comes in and what goes out. And too often I hear people, oh, I worked hard. I'm entitled to this. You may have worked hard, but if you didn't make any money and you can't pay for that cash, you are not entitled to it. <laughs> so you've really got to cut your spending. And we just spend too much. And, and we spend on stuff that we don't even care about. If I asked you, where did all your money go last month? You probably go, I don't know right? You can't even pinpoint it. You go look at your credit card statement. Where'd all that money go? Do you even remember? Look at the statement and look at the items and go, what was that? I don't even remember what I bought. So cut your spending. I'm not telling you not to enjoy life, but cut your spending on stuff that just doesn't matter. I have a bonus question as it pertains to that. You brought up a point that uh, I remember you talked about in the very beginning of this podcast episode. Your, Your quote was that your dad could have made more money, but he didn't want to work harder. And I know that that was your mindset back in the day. That was maybe your mindset as a kid. And I don't think you, you any longer believe that working harder necessarily equates to more money. How and when did your mindset shift change? So I think maybe I, I stated that wrong. He didn't want to work more hours. So when I said that, I meant it more from a time frame type of thing. Um, And he was risk averse because he had a young kid at home. So it wasn't like you had that kind of ability. I don't want to work hard. I just want to work smarter. I want the work I do to bring more revenue. So you you provide more value. Uh, And and it's just learning that the higher the value you provide, the, the more you help people and the more value you can provide for them, the more you're willing to get paid. And when you can go out into the areas where no one has solved their problem, well, that's where the the big money is, Mm, right? So it's not necessarily you have to work hard to work smarter or more creatively. Add more value. Find ways to add value. I love that. I love that because if, if it was all about working hard, I know a lot of people who should have been millionaires a long time ago. So there's a secret sauce, secret ingredient. And I told you before the call, like the, the fact that you are 
on, on a platform, you're adding value. Um, it speaks volumes to your mindset and what you're doing. And that's why you're successful today. So I love that. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? I would probably have to say my dad, just learning all these principles. Um, he was always telling stories, kind of like Bill Cosby used to do on that show. You were always getting these principles, and I was always in situations where you were exposed to adults talking about situations. So as a kid, you're just you're picking up on all of those types of things of how people are doing things. We were we were not limited because we were kids. It's not like, oh, this is over your head or you shouldn't be here. It was just the expectation that you will learn by watching. Yeah, love it. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? I think a big part of it is fear, right? Everyone is trying to go from zero to one is a lot harder than going from one to a hundred. So it's the fear of the start. For some people, it's the overwhelm. I need to know it all before I can start. No, just start just like a kid learning to walk, fall down a lot. Just make sure you don't get hurt, right? And so trying that out. And I think another part, and it's the thing that everyone struggles with, am I enough? Who am I to to start in real estate? Who am I to build a business? I'm not so smart. What you learn over time as you see all these successful people, they're not any smarter than you. They just showed up and they started. They made a lot of mistakes and they just kept getting up and going back and trying. Yeah, I love that. Jerry Seinfeld has a famous quote I just pulled up and it goes like this. You don't need to know anything. Everything you need to know, you'll figure it out when you need to know it. Even if you miscalculate and make the wrong decision, you needed to know that. And that's powerful. Like you, you hit it right on the head in that so many people will not get started because they don't know what to head. And if I tell you the be- because I've gotten started in every single thing that I did, whether or not it was a success or a failure, I told you my first year in business, I opened up eight businesses and I failed at every single one of them. But if I never did that, I would still be in a cubicle, Rocky. I would still be in the cubicle. So you can look back on those fears and be like, wow, Dara, you really failed at eight businesses. That's terrible. I embrace it. So I love that. I love that. Rocky, this has been an amazing, amazing podcast interview. The listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, find out about some of the things that you have going on. Where can they find some of this information? So if you'd like to listen to my podcast, it's called Richer Soul. And the the tagline is, you got rich, now what? So it's figuring out the rest of your life. Uh, Money alone is not going to, to help you. If you want to learn more about Profit First and what I do for businesses, that is ProfitComesFirst.com. And you can get two free chapters of the book on there too. There's a somewhere down on the bottom, you can click a link and uh, you'll automatically get two free chapters of the book to check out as well. And those are probably the two pe- two best places to, uh, to find me. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And the links to both of those will be in the show notes. Rocky. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You've added so much value to my listeners. Uh, we've learned how to have a 20-hour week. We've learned the profit first system and the listeners are going to go implement that. Hey, we even got into physical fitness and learning how exactly we've created our four-hour bodies. It's a pleasure having you on and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Cool. I'm looking forward to coming back.